0: what if you can take this permanent concept of a cemetery and use it for conservation? And so we created a conservation memorial forest. And the other way to think about that is what if you could pay for conservation by attracting people who are already paying for something similar? So you blend these two ideas. You take conservation and you take a final resting place and you create a conservation memorial forest. And then you have a business with an externality that is permanently protected land.
1: Hello, fellow do-gooders and friends. I'm your host, Karina Belize, an activist who's passionate about social impact and building a better, more sustainable future. Every week, I invite you to care a little bit more so that together we can all be better and create a better world. Today, we're going on a different sort of trip as we explore one of the inevitable moments of life, which is simply its end. You might have heard about being buried in a tree, egg, or perhaps even composted or buried at sea. But how realistic are these options at this point in time? What sustainable or regenerative solutions really exist? What does your end-of-life planning look like? What did it look like for your parents or for your grandparents? Were they buried in a cemetery, a mausoleum? Were they embalmed with chemicals or laid to rest in a shroud? Were they cremated? Are any of these practices really sustainable? To tease out truth from reality and fact from science fiction, I'm joined today by Sandy Gibson, founder of Better Place Forests, America's first conservation memorial forest. Sandy, welcome to the show.
0: Kruna, thank you so much for including me.
1: <laughs> well, I have actually been wanting to have this conversation for some time now, especially as I saw... Throughout social media, all these examples of people essentially being buried in an egg with like a tree growing out of it. And I just wanted you for a moment to talk about some of what the reality is like, what drew you into this first? What drew you into this particular line of business? And then, what is real? Where are we right now? And how are you working to solve these problems?
0: Got it. So, to start with, in the second question, what is real? One of the most interesting things about this industry is that Capsula Mundi the design idea you're, you're talking about, I think they invented that idea in 2003 or 2004 and it has never been created. So I can't imagine another industry like this where <laughs> it would be the equivalent of like talking about Tesla if Tesla was still just a prototype concept and it never been moved forward. But it's something about being a tree in that image that's so critical. And it really speaks to the fact that people want something very different than what is available today. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's a lot of reasons why it's very difficult to innovate. You're dealing with real estate and permitting. Try getting a cemetery permitted. That's an interesting experience. Um, Well, then
1: I think you also have to explore the area from an archaeological perspective first, too, to ensure that it wasn't a burial ground. So there's some sampling and some things that actually need to be done at a baseline level to even begin that process. And then you have to prove something along the lines of, if there are chemicals that are going to leach into the ground, how are you sure they're not going to hit the water table? Right. So there's all these things that you have to do.
0: There is so much there. And then you have to make sure your neighbors don't, we don't need to go into the complexity of permitting, but I can put it this way. Getting real estate projects permitted is exceptionally difficult in modern America. (laughs) And when you are a different project, like a conservation memorial forest, it is even more difficult. It's always political. It's always contentious. We create beautiful conservation areas where we only spread ashes which are inert to the environment. You know, those are going to break down over time and become nutrients like calcium and phosphorus and potassium. So there's no issue of leaching of chemicals or anything like that. And even that still, we have an entire team dedicated to real estate permits. It can take 18 months or many years to get a full permit. It's just very complicated. So there's a lot of reasons. And then if you look at Caps Munda, you know, why does it not exist in existing cemeteries? Most people are unaware of how expensive that land is and how much concrete is already in most cemeteries. So actually putting a tree in an existing cemetery is exceptionally difficult. You'd probably need to buy like 10 contiguous plots. There are very, very few cemeteries with that space still available. And if you could find it in an urban area, I would be very shocked if you could buy those 10 contiguous plots for less than $500,000 and more likely a few million. It's just an area that no one thinks about. There's very little cemetery space. And so it gets very expensive when you're looking for something very unique and very rare. So that's kind of the background of your first question.
1: So it is science fiction is what you're saying. I mean, that's why I asked the question the way I did, because I even at one point thought, well, heck, this would be an interesting way to plan for my dad. I know he cares about the environment. He doesn't want to be embalmed. He's thinking about other ways to be processed in his end of life, so to speak. So I was like, well, what is this egg thing? And how do we do this? And then I started to think about how much space would be required because a tree itself, you can't plant them tightly and knit rows. What you're doing is actually using What would be an existing forest, correct?
0: Exactly. Yeah, I should explain what we do and then we can get into it. So Better Place Forests were the first sustainable alternative to traditional cemeteries and funerals. So what I mean by that is that instead of a grave and a tombstone and a burial in a cemetery, our customers are choosing cremation. They might have a traditional funeral somewhere, but then they are choosing to have more of a celebration of life typically. And when they come to the forest, they're having a forest ceremony where we prepare the ashes, we spread those ashes that are already mixed with soil in the right ratio so that they can break down and turn nutrients for the tree over time. We spread those beneath the tree. And by choosing that tree, they're helping to contribute to the purchase and permanent endowment and protection of that forest as a conservation area. Uh, So the idea is that you're leaving the world a little bit more beautiful than you found it. And you're also creating a place your family can come back to, or your family, most importantly, can think of you. We started the company because when I was 10, my father died of a stroke. And I had to go to the cemetery with my mom and buy a burial plot. And a year later, my mom died of cancer. So that place became the place that I always went back to. And what I realized over time is it's very important to have a place to go back to. There will be moments in your life when you want to be near the person that you love. The idea for Better Place came when I was at my parents' grave on my mom's birthday, 20 years after she died in 2015. You just have those moments that you want to be there. But more than those moments is the fact that when I think of my mom, I think of a black tombstone. I think of their final resting place. There's no way not to think about that. An early philosopher, I guess 19th century philosopher made a point on it as cemeteries were moving away from the religious tradition, they were asking the question, why do cemeteries exist? Why do they matter? And he posited a really good question. He said, well, if your father gave you a pocket watch that he'd carried for every day of his life, After he passed, would that pocket watch be different from any other pocket watch? And almost everyone says, yes, of course, it was his. He carried it with him. Something there is different because it was his and because he carried it for so many years. So there's no way to say that the body does not have an equal level of significance. Of course, a final resting place is important to people. That was the idea. And I think that hasn't changed in 200 years. So you need that place and you want to think of that place. And ideally, in a great scenario, that place is beautiful and trees are something particularly spreading ashes or burials around trees. It's something about the fact that they live longer than like one or two or three human lives. For some reason, I think we're very connected to the concept of trees as a memorial.
1: Well, I'm reminded of a moment from my birthing journey with my first child, because my midwife asked me afterwards if I wanted to see the afterbirth. And so, yeah, this might sound gory to you. But what she did is she held it up and she said to me, do you see the tree? And it's just this interesting moment where you are able to connect with and understand that at the moment of birth or even while you're growing in your parent, all of the blood vessels that surround this thing that's feeding you, that's providing you with all of the nourishment that you would need throughout your your entire early life existence looks exactly like a tree with all the branches extending out, mm-hmm. right? And so we have to understand like the earth itself, right? It's like you're taking nourishment from the ground into the roots of the tree and creating something new. This is also offering us oxygen and a quiet place to spend time. It's an entire ecosystem. A tree in itself is an entire ecosystem. And so I think visiting a forest or visiting trees, it can be a reverent experience, especially if you're going through something like the grieving of the loss of somebody that you wish you had the ability to connect with still today. You talk to the tree even. It feels like it's almost an extension of something else that could be living. And so I think that there's a natural flow for this. I also wonder what it's like for those who live in, let's say, a big city area, like you're in Chicago or you're in New York and you don't necessarily have a lot of open spaces outside of, let's say, Central Park, where you're not doing one of these forests to go and kind of pay your respects to a loved one. So can we talk for a moment about even proximity, like how you would, let's say, visit one of these forests if you were to lose somebody close to you and you chose this path for them?
0: So when we look to choose locations, we look for three things. The first is conservation value. So we're looking for forests that typically are fairly healthy, or if they're not healthy, can be restored back to full health. And second, that where the ecosystem is important. So sometimes that means they're nature corridors. Sometimes that means they're just particularly high risk for development. Sometimes that means they're just particularly beautiful. We do err on the side of beauty because people can be driven by different motivations around protecting nature. Some people use words like beauty. Some people use capital and nature. It's different for different people and what their values are. And whether they're coming from a religious background or a non-religious background. The second thing that we look for is proximity to where our customers live. So we're typically looking for a one to two hour drive. It would be nice to be even closer, but we are really focused on conservation value and beauty. So that's not always possible near a major city. And then third is community. So it's very important to us that the towns that we choose, the areas we choose, see better place as part of their long-standing community because these forests are gonna be here in 200 and 300 years. And we create large endowment funds that pay for the care and maintenance. So this is something that we're creating that's gonna be a part of this community for a long time. We wanna be in communities that love that idea as well. In Litchfield Hills in Connecticut, it's got a wonderful community where we bought the land from a landowner who was an arborist and she'd been maintaining this land for more than 30 years. It was beautifully, beautifully kept. And it was amazing to see the letters of support we got from that community because they understood and loved this idea that there was creating a place for their community that would always be protected, that would have this meaning and special kind of relationship to the town. And that's always what we're looking for is that kind of connection. And it's interesting, you don't always find it. There are communities where I thought when we start a better place for us that everyone would think this idea was awesome and that they would go, great, of course we want you to be our neighbor. And that's not the case. Again, permitting in modern America is extremely complicated. There is a reason we have a housing crisis. There's no other way to put it. As far as easy kind of no-brainer options go, I would think a better place for us is pretty much there. Very low impact. Everything stays as a conservation area. It creates great tourism for the community. It's accessible for the community and it's permanently protected with an endowment fund. But nonetheless, things can be political.
1: Well, I think this is an interesting point. One of the things I'm thinking about as you share this is simply that I have a condo in Santa Cruz that I still own, it's across the street from a cemetery. And when I went to put it on the market as a rental, there were often people who didn't want to live across the street from a cemetery. And so I got this as feedback from the management company that they were having trouble (laughs) getting interested parties, because I guess looking out their window at a beautiful, honestly, it's a meadow that's grassy with trees and everything and some really old headstones, like from the late 1800s, I think. They didn't like seeing that out their window. So they didn't want to live near it. And I wonder if some of that, like community effect, is coming into play, even though this might just be a forest with ashes spread into it.
0: It certainly can be. There is a taboo around cemeteries. American culture is particularly disinterested in talking about death more so (laughs) than other cultures. And it's very interesting to see how uncomfortable people can get. And it's why you can see many people who don't think about this topic until it's a little bit late. One of the things that we talk about with Better Place Forests, when I say, like, what is the why of Better Place Forests? I like Simon Sinek's start with why. You know, what's yeah, the, what the ma-
1: magic, What the golden circle, I think he calls it.
0: Our what is that we're creating conservation memorial forests.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Our how is that we're buying beautiful conservation land, often in partnership with land trusts, and we're turning them into permanently protected, endowed, beautiful forests where people can access and walk through those forests. We're going in, we're removing invasive species. We're putting in pathways to make them wheelchair accessible, which is not wheelchair accessible, but wheelchair access vehicle accessible. <laughs> okay. Um, which I should explain. And try making a forest ADA compliant. It's an interesting problem. No one's ever thought through that before. So it's one of the problems we had to solve as Better Place Forests, and we have solved it.
1: So I'm imagining paved, neandering paths through the forest.
0: More we have certain beautiful stopping areas where families mm. can come to. And we try to keep a minimum of concrete. We try to keep generally keep any permanent structure out of the forest if possible. But when it comes to the why, why do we do this? One of the things you have to think about is that you're trying to get people to think about something that's completely new that they don't want to think about. Most people do not want to think about their death. We see this as parents. They deeply want to take care of their children after they're gone. But when they have to think about the details, that means they have to imagine a world Where their child is living without them that hurts twice you're thinking about your death but you're also thinking about this really difficult situation for one of the human beings that you love most in the entire world and that is just for a lot of people when that is presented to them the answer is i am not going to think about this and we Mm -hmm. will not talk about this until like if you can procrastinate this is one of those things that's very high up on the i would like to procrastinate about this list
1: Yeah, I think I might be a little bit of an odd bird in this particular way, because I think to the fact that I might create something that I feel comfortable with from a sustainability perspective, right? And where I also would provide my kids a place to go and remember me that was automatically kind of getting into nature or being reverent. I thought for a long time, I would simply be cremated Or have my husband and I's ashes mixed or something like that, and then be dispersed together somewhere. And it's a romantic idea. Who knows what they will choose to do in the end. And if I'll be able to go ahead and just secure a plot of land where I am part of a forest or something to that effect before I pass. But I'm very open to it. I'm open to imagining it. And I think part of why I'm open to imagining it is because I think about it just as part of the cycle. this is something I've thought about since I was very young. And what do they say? Nothing in life is sure, but death and taxes. It's like the things that you have to do. You can't get around. Like nobody here gets out of life. So if that's a reality, then why do we have such a hard time processing that or thinking about it? Why do we have such a hard time even talking about it with our loved ones so that they understand what our wishes would be? And I feel like through having these conversations, we are essentially normalizing that a little bit and inviting people to open up their imaginations, to think about what they would want a little bit differently. One of the things that I've always had a hard time with is the fact that so many people are actually embalmed and then cremated as part of the processing. Like you have all the use of these chemicals. Why are we using the chemicals in the first place? And what kind of pollution is resulting from that when we bury someone who's been embalmed in a cemetery, right? So I was hoping that you could help educate our audience a little bit about that. And also, if you have any knowledge specifically about cremation and how it could be a more sustainable option than some others that are presently available to us.
0: Great. So I'll answer the first part of thinking more broadly about funerals, thinking about what you want for a funeral, embalming, burial, cremation. The way that I think is important to think about it is that it's the end of your story, right? And that's something that no one's ever going to forget. No one's ever going to forget you dying. They will never forget your funeral and never forget the image of your final resting place. I once said that to someone and they were very, I said it in the opposite way. You'll always remember. And someone was very offended. They said, that's not how I want to remember my parents. I said, I get that. I don't want to think of a tombstone when I think of my mom either, but it is. There's no way to take that back. There's no way to change that. So these are things that always will be there. My father was a man who was, I will get onto the environmental side, a real character, Very strong personality. He got polio when he was 10 years old. He went to the Olympics for swimming when he was 18 because you don't need to use your legs much in long distance swimming. Paid his way through law school working as a fuller brushman. Was just this very successful guy who lived a very considered life the way that he wanted to live. Everything was very particular to what he wanted except for advanced care directive, which he didn't do. And he was an estate lawyer. He wrote people's wills for a living. This was definitely a cobbler's children have no shoes moment. And you realize that the end of your life is suddenly the end of his life was very hard. He had a stroke at his desk and he ultimately died of blood poisoning because they just would not stop treating him. And he didn't want those treatments. He was pulling out the feeding tubes. He was kind of pretty clear. He didn't want to live the way he was going to live after a stroke. And he kind of said, stop treating me. And it was very hard. And my mom, who was sick with cancer at the time, had to bring out the lawyers and talk about suing the hospital. And it was very, very hard to see that. That's the end of your life story. And it could have been so much better with a little bit more forethought. So I think that's, The positive side that we have to get people to think about is that the end of your life story is the thing that everyone who loves you is going to remember for the rest of their lives. It can be more beautiful. It can be positive. Do you want to have a funeral where you're embalmed and your casket's there? If that's what you want, great. But maybe you want an after party, right? Like, do you want people at your reception to serve those little finger sandwiches? Those are commonly at funerals. Or is that not your style? Do you want a food truck with barbecue? Like, it's you. You can do what you want. And creating that moment is something that everyone who cares about, she was going to walk away for the rest of their lives and feel a lot better because you did something that's you. And in that moment when they most need you to feel connected and you're most gone, giving them a path of things to do is a way they can feel connected to you. I had a customer who was planning this through. And I said, what's your favorite? He said, I don't care. Whatever my kids want. I said, that's not what they want. Your kids don't want whatever you want because they don't know what they want. They've never dealt with their father dying before. So tell them something to do. What's your favorite food? And he was from New York and he goes, ah, that'd be Costco cheese pizza. Best New York style pizza you can get outside of New York. And I said, okay, so you want Costco cheese pizzas at your funeral? He said, yeah, I like that idea. And that is fun and it's special and it's him. I wouldn't do that. I'd probably have a bit more of a sit down dinner, but everybody's different. So that's beautiful. On the environmental side, when it comes to embalming and things like that, The key thing to understand about embalming is that take the Jewish tradition versus the traditional Christian tradition in the United States. In the Jewish tradition, there's no embalming and the burial happens very quickly. But you typically sit shiva for up to seven days afterwards. And it's very well understood that some people are not going to make it for the burial. And that's okay. No one's going to say it's unacceptable that you missed the burial. This was your father. As long as you come and sit shiva. In the traditional Christian tradition, ever since the Civil War, when they started embalming, the expectation is the body will be preserved and then buried when everyone who needs to be there is there. I once went to a Greek Orthodox funeral that took about four and a half hours because every single attendee had to shake the family's hand. And that was different than I was expecting. And it was a really big funeral. So I didn't know it would take so long, but it was a sweltering day in Toronto. But the key thing is to look at, at cultural traditions. So sometimes people are embalmed for preservation. That said, with modern refrigeration, that's not necessary unless you want an open casket. Open caskets, again, I would say they're far less common today. Many people specifically don't want them. I think embalming is quite invasive. I would not really want that done to my body. But some people, it is really important and their kids really do want to see them one last time. My uncle chose that. He wanted a, an Irish wake at his house with his body there where we could all drink his favorite drinks and eat his favorite food. And so my tendency tends to be whatever you want is okay And then it's a question of how do we minimize that impact? Cremation, there are better ways of doing cremation than traditional cremation, like water cremation, which is becoming more popular. That's much less intensive on the environment if you're comfortable with that. But if you want to choose traditional cremation, buying the carbon offsets for that is also fairly straightforward. So for Better Place, we plant 25 to 400 plus trees. The ultimate carbon impact of that is far, far more than a cremation would be. Very long answer to your your short question.
1: I was thinking about a couple of things for my personal life. As you shared this, I've been to a couple of funerals where people had been embalmed, had chosen to be embalmed for, I think, a lot of the reasons that you mentioned. In one case, it was a friend who died of cancer, but she was only 32. And I think people had a really hard time letting go. And another instance was a grandparent. And there were some relatives who wanted to say goodbye and see them one last time. But for the most part, what I've seen in my community is cremation. And for a lot of practical reasons, I think, probably very similar to what we see in the Jewish tradition of, oh, well, we can take care of it and then we can pay our respects when we all feel ready. And that could be related to your job life, your work life, your school life, your whatever, just stuff from your daily life. When my grandmother passed, we had her cremated and then traveled with her ashes, to the East Coast. And that proved to be easier than transporting a body, right? Mm Because you just start to take a body across state lines. And there's a lot of paperwork. It was complicated enough to fly with her ashes. Okay. And then we were able to bury her ashes in the family plot. And because the family plot wasn't extensive, it wasn't large, the cemetery management company made a concession for us to be able to bury her like in the same plot with both of her parents. So I think that was part of our honoring her and also having a final resting place to consider family members as a whole, like unit, right? And so I think that was an honorable and respectful way to go. That being said, it's still not perfect because you're talking about cremation. Often you're talking about immense use of energy to incinerate a body and also escape of the carbon into the atmosphere. Now, some plants, so I don't know what you want to call them. Crematoriums, I think is the technical word, right? have systems where they're closed. And so the carbon doesn't actually escape, but they still take an immense amount of energy to go through the cremation process. One of the really cool things that I learned about what's more typical in the New Orleans area is that they have these mausoleums where essentially multiple generations of people can be buried in the same place. And it's through the natural heat cycle of the planet and summers that, I mean, basically the bodies decompose within this mausoleum and then they'll only open a set every so often so that new person can essentially be inserted. And then the remaining bones are kind of swept into the back or like a trough. And so an entire several generations of a family could exist in one small spot that you could always go to. And I feel like this is something that is long of the past that we don't even think about anymore, but also might be part of where Anne Rice got her ideas with regard to writing her Vampire Chronicles, because it seems so kind of gothic and ancient and Wow. Is this even done anymore? It seems like something that we just don't really talk about.
0: So that tradition, that's a Spanish <laughs> tradition as well, mm-hmm. where mausoleums, people will be put in in a shroud, often unembalmed, and then the body will decay over time. And then therefore you can use more and more space. Eventually it will fill up like an ossuary. But generally that can be many, many generations. Traditional family plots, you used to keep burying in the same place, but you were burying people unembalmed in a pine coffin and those broke down over time with modern embalming with modern caskets that stopped working. So since about the 50s, generally that has not been that's been prohibited. Mm-hmm. Same as with urn burials in plots. If you have a family plot that you purchased before the 1950s, it is fairly likely that it does not prohibit the burying of urns. Hmm. If you have a plot that was purchased after about 1965 when cremation started being more popular, it's almost guaranteed that it's going to be prohibited. Now, you can some t- it's a bylaw, it's not a legal prohibition, so there can be some negotiation with cemeteries, but generally it's it's going to be different. And just that change of embalming very much changed cemeteries from a place that could be used for many, many generations and keep being reused to something that is truly permanent. Mm-hmm. In Europe, on the other hand, you're mostly leasing a plot and then they will remove your body. That's why there's an acropolis under Paris, for example. Mm-hmm. You typically buy a burial plot for 25 years, then the body is removed. There's an entire group of folks whose job is to remove any remaining organic matter that is not fully decayed off the bones and buried it's, it's probably not the best job in the world, um, <laughs> than in Greece, in Greece, the burials typically are for three years and then they have to remove them.
1: Wow. That seems rather
0: fast. I would imagine that's a tough job. That is not the job that you probably want. And in Greece, unless it was changed very recently, cremation is illegal. So mm-hmm. there's kind of a whole challenge there. So everything around death, it's just important to remember, there's a lot of taboos, there's a lot of traditions. And it can be very changing because traditions have changed so fast in the last 50 years. Cremation rate was under 4% in 1963. Now it's about 55% across the country. People who are younger are going to be choosing that at a higher rate. So baby boomers are expected to be cremated about 80%. Mm -hmm. And the remaining 20 will probably come from a faith tradition where cremation is frowned upon. So it's possible to be cremated in many traditions, but it's not preferred. If you're Jewish, it's not preferred. If you're Muslim, it's not preferred. And in certain cases, by certain faiths or sex within faith, it's prohibited.
1: So let's say in the case that someone chooses a final resting place that is one of your forests, where are you currently operating so that they could have their ashes mixed with some earth and to become part of that forest, part of that tree?
0: Great. So we have forests throughout California, in Mendocino, Santa Cruz, Central California, just outside of Yosemite National Park. We have forests in Lake Arrowhead, just outside of L.A., In addition, we've got forests in Minnesota, outside the Twin Cities, in Illinois, outside of Chicago, as well as in forests in Western Massachusetts and in Connecticut. Uh, We're working on opening up more forests throughout the country. So we hear from everyone. Interestingly, if you had to guess which city in the United States has the highest preference for better place forests, which one would you guess it is? Seattle? It is Houston, Texas. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. Our customers are very... One thing I like to say, in 2020, Americans couldn't agree on much, but they all agreed that they liked better place forests. Uh, We have a very broad, our customers, (laughs) it's really quite interesting. Our customers are equally likely to, to vote Democrat or Republican. There's different reasons for why people love nature. Everyone loves conservation and protecting it. Some of our customers want to protect capital and nature and be a part of nature. Others will say that the closest they ever felt to God was in nature. And my view, as long as everyone agrees that they love nature, they want to be a part of it and they want to protect it and create a place for their family. I think that's fabulous.
1: Well, I mean, that speaks to me wanting to reach across the aisle constantly, too, because the reality is we all have way more in common than we think we do, or than politicians would have us believe. It's really time that we stop thinking about where we're different Mm -hmm. and what we can do together to push forward for more change and do things like preserving forests around the globe and hopefully pushing for change in Greece, too. When you told me three to four years, somebody being unearthed there seems seems wasteful.
0: Well, it's a very specific tradition. So there you're going to have a tradition more around ossuaries Mm -hmm. where there will be a similar to the tradition in in France. Like
1: the catacombs, yeah.
0: Yeah. And so the key to understand is just Europe had just a much smaller continent, which had so many people for so many generations that their view of cemeteries is not of a permanent space. It's more of a permanent cemetery that is a temporary space for families. And one of the ideas for Better Place Forests is I read a book that I really, really like called Cradle to Cradle, and it was one of the first great books of the sustainable design movement. And Cradle to Cradle makes the argument that you really need to think more holistically when you're designing something. And if you do, you can create a much better product. And I totally think you can do that with companies. So when you think about a problem, you look at the externalities and you ask, can you fix them? And the example of this book was the author had been brought in to work- So, Sandy.
1: Just for a moment, why don't you explain what externalities are so that anybody listening that might not be familiar with the term can sort that too?
0: So externality is going to be a side effect of creating your product or selling your product. So an example of an externality, if you own a traditional farm, is that you might have wastewater runoff, and that's an externality. In the case where this author was brought in, he was brought into a factory in Germany, which was a chemical factory. And the village down the river was very angry about all of the waste that was being put into the river from the factory. Mm-hmm. And so the externality of that business is that waste. And what they found is he came in and he proposed a change to their production process where he said, Well, what if we didn't use river water? What if we added an, a last step to this process where we distill the waste? and reuse that distilled water from the waste in our process. And what they found was it actually, it was a much more efficient process in the long run. It took some investment, but because they were constantly bringing in river water and the chemical composition, that river water changed based on the seasons, based on rainfall, it actually got in the way of the production of the chemicals. So it was more efficient to create a closed loop system. And I think when you think about a business, you want to think about that. So When we first came up with the idea for Better Place Forests, one of the things I was thinking about was the fact that cemeteries are really interesting because they're permanent. You can never redevelop them. In the 50s, they used eminent domain. That's probably not gonna happen again anywhere. Eminent domain is really hard to use, very, very expensive, and it requires a certain level of societal cohesion that we do not currently have. Um, I think it's mostly
1: used for building roadways at this point, right?
0: Yeah, and very rarely. It's really, really tough. It's very tough politically to use. So cemeteries have a unique aspect, which is that when it is used, you tend to have to repay the families for the value of the plots. Now, the value of those plots today is extremely high. So it's usually not economical to move them. So you have a cemetery in Bondi Beach in Australia that's on some of the world's most valuable real estate. It is coastal, it is gorgeous cemetery, but everyone who's in it was probably buried there 150 years ago. So our view is what if you can take this permanent concept of a cemetery and use it for conservation. And so we created a conservation memorial forest. And the other way to think about that is what if you could pay for conservation by attracting people who are already paying for something similar? So you blend these two ideas. You take conservation and you take a final resting place and you create a conservation memorial forest. And then you have a business with an externality that is permanently protected land.
1: Yeah. Well, essentially what you're saying is the side effect is actually a positive thing. And ultimately, there are ways to even approach manufacturing where something like the alcohol that you might use to extract an herb can be used over and over and over and over again so that you're not just wasting it each time. And you can then afford to go organic in your alcohol that you're using to extract an herb and things like that so that you can add more benefits to the entire process all the way around while producing less waste, while having less worry over leaching chemicals into groundwater and things along those lines. So it all, I think, lends to a more responsible overall business design. And so I just think that's really important for us to be talking about across the board, even as we are talking about this cradle to cradle concept, or in this case, cradle to final resting place or grave,
0: right? I think that's exactly it. I think when it comes to businesses and I think podcasts like yours is to ask that question, of how do you create positive externalities to your businesses? And there, many, for many businesses, there can be them. People often, when you're looking at real estate development, and what people often don't realize is that when you do a really good commercial development with great restaurants and great bars and places for people to go, it actually improves your neighborhood. People often think, oh, I don't want that. But your real estate value goes up because your neighborhood's nicer, because right. most people would like to be able to walk to something tasty.
1: Right. Well, and that happened in my neighborhood a little bit differently. I mean, I'm in Santa Cruz County, so perhaps I will end up with my final resting place at a better forest. But the 1440 Multiversity took over what used to be Bethany College, which was a Christian college that had really fallen on worse times. It was essentially falling apart. They didn't maintain the buildings. And so 1440 Multiversity came in, built a retreat and kind of continuing education center that looks like it belongs in the Alps or something along those lines. It's absolutely beautiful, absolutely added to our local community. People can take nice walks through the neighborhood now and it just feels more put together, right? So it ultimately both improved our environment without making any eyesores and actually removed eyesores. And they'll do things like have it's just some nice wind chimes blowing, a couple of fountains, like you walk through these redwoods now and you see these additive things that are actually quite pleasant to walk through in your own neighborhood. And so it's where I spend my mornings now.
0: That's exactly it. It's too often people look at businesses or a change and they think about examples of bad businesses they don't like or of change they didn't like. And the answer is that change is always with us. How do we think about it and turn it into something positive? How do we yeah. look at businesses and say, how do we serve... Good. I remember one of the things that impacted me a lot as a kid was in Canada, you've got home hardware being the exclusive. There's different ways franchises make money. This particular one, they were the central distributor. So every home hardware buys only the products that they distribute. Mm -hmm. And this particular store, I remembered as a kid walking in and noticed it. And everyone who helped you was always mentally challenged. Mm -hmm. And the owner had realized this was a very, very good way To create jobs for people who often can't get jobs, Mm -hmm. and you know, I was just a little kid, and I'm going in, and I was like, "The service is the friendliest it's ever been. Everyone's incredibly helpful, and there's just this energy from this store." Because you realize, and years later, I realized it. My uncle was in gold mining, which is a very extractive, not good for the environment business, typically. And I made this argument. I was maybe 15 years old, but of course, this was a different time period. He's a different generation. He wasn't super interested in the environmental side of things, but he did say something important. He said, "Sandy." Of all the things I've done in my life, I started a company that employs 350 people. That's 350 families who have jobs, who have houses, who have good lives and meaning in their life. And that's important. And that's something that led me into entrepreneurship, to be honest, because I think it's true. How can you take that and combine it with what that home hardware did, where those jobs are really important to your community? And you don't need to market it. The people who buy from you, they get it. They get that feeling. And with Better Place Forests, we're incredibly lucky because... Our customers love it, which means our employees love working with our customers, and you get this beautiful energy, you get to recruit incredible talent because it's kind of a virtuous cycle. People love working for a company where the customers are happy, customers love buying from a company where the employees are happy, and all of that's a lot easier when your product is something that's good for the world.
1: Well, and to that point, I believe you recruited a senior executive from Patagonia to join your company and For those that are watching this on YouTube, the image that you see in my background is of the Patagonia Mountains. And ultimately, that is a very responsible company. You're you're attracting people that are really looking to make the world a better place through their work to the organization because they also have faith in the model and they think they can make a difference in this way. So I think that's important. It's important to think about building companies that are going to make a difference, that are going to help and preserve our environments. And in this case, will actually support the regeneration of our forests. So I love what you're doing and I would just love to stay in touch as we continue forward because I imagine there will be new developments on the horizon as well. Perhaps mm-hmm. you'll even end up offering a solution in many of those European countries.
0: I hope so. We should have some new products that will be announcing soon that I'm or services technically that I'm really excited about as we help people plan their whole end of life experience. And of course, I'd love to stay in touch. Thank you so much for having me on the show.
1: All right. Well, that's fantastic, Sandy. Thank you so much for joining me. Now we've come to that point of the podcast, haven't we, my friends? It's time for that simple ask. It doesn't have to be huge. It could be as simple as sharing this podcast with those in your community that you think could benefit from learning from it. Or you could send people to investigate Better Forest. And I will include all links in the show notes for this episode as well. Now, If there is anything that you're thinking about when it comes to this end of life journey, I just invite you to stay curious. Think a little bit about what you would like that experience to be for your loved ones, for those that are close to you. And if you can choose a solution that is a little bit more kind for the planet, then that is probably a better one all around. Thank you listeners now and always for being a part of this pod and this community, because together we really can do so much more. We can care more and we can be better. We can even regenerate earth with the support of things like better forests. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to Care More, Be Better, a podcast for social good. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts, and share with your friends to help us reach more people and spread more social good.